would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. And I will go ahead and tell you, uh, you might want to put your marker there and, and make sure it's there for the next few months. Uh, if you are a, uh, a part of us here at Colonial Heights, we're going to spend the next uh, several weeks together walking through the book of Hebrews. Um, some of you saw this already on social media. We've had conversations about that. And so some of you uh, were asking for more time than even what we're going to be giving because Hebrews is one of those that, that it's just rich. Like, uh, in fact, uh, even, even like just three months or so seems to not be enough to, to mine all the richness and all the, the gems out of Hebrews. And I, I would agree with that. It is, it is rich and it is worth our study even far more than these uh, few weeks. But I would encourage you to spend time over these few months just like looking into the book of Hebrews, study it, know it, like come prepared to hear more from Hebrews week in and week out. So kind of think over the, the rest of the summer, I know we're not quite there yet for those of you who are in school, but over the rest of the, the next few months, we will be in Hebrews. We're not exactly sure for, uh, with certainty who the author is. Certainly some think Paul wrote it because, I mean, hey, he wrote like a lot of the New Testament. Uh, but we do not know that uh, who exactly wrote it. We do know that it is someone who is knowledgeable about the disciples and about the Old Testament. Uh, we're not sure exactly who the audience is, but we do know that they were knowledgeable about the Old Testament. That they were likely being persecuted and uh, as those who had been converted into Christianity. And so uh, while, while we uh, are not in that season, in that time, nor are we likely persecuted like they were being persecuted. Uh, we do realize, I hope you do, you're not blind to this, that as believers, we are in opposition to the world. We're, we're different than they are. And as a result, there is a dislike, at least toward us, toward Christianity, toward choosing Christ. And what we'll find in the book of Hebrews, in fact, uh, the, the name of this series is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all of the stuff that is offered. And we'll find even in the richness of things described in the Old Testament, there, Jesus is better. In fact, other, other words that are intended to describe this, Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. The main focus of this book is to remind us as readers to hold on to Jesus and not abandon the faith. Why? Because Jesus is better. Each week over the next, Lord willing, 
uh, 13 weeks, we will see how Jesus is better. We'll see even today, Jesus is better than angels. Jesus displays a better message. Jesus is better to worship. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus offers better rest. Jesus is a better priest. Jesus delivers a better covenant. Jesus is a better sacrifice. Jesus is a better assurance of faith. Jesus grants better faith. Jesus is a better foundation. Jesus is, is a gift better than, he offers us better advancement plans. Jesus is, is a better eternal hope. Church, Jesus is better. And we're going to see that over and over and over again, the richness, the glory, the beauty and majesty of King Jesus. So today, I hope that as we see in Hebrews chapter 1, that we will consider that Jesus is, in fact, better than angels. Of course, Jesus, who is God, is better than angels. He created. But what did Hebrews 1 tell us about this reality? Let's look. Let's look to Hebrews chapter 1. We're just going to dive right in to the text. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And as we read earlier, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels he has ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So before we... Uh, question, again, again like, like why in many cases, why would we even argue that Jesus isn't better than angels, right? I mean, we know this, Jesus is, is God, right? So certainly he is better than created beings. 
God, Jesus being part of the triune God, the second person of the Trinity. Surely he's better than the very beings he created. And you would be right. But it's good for us to consider why is this even a discussion? What is so special about angels? Right? There's something about it because in verse 4, he having become as much superior to angels. So what is the work of angels? What do angels do? Right? What, what is their job? I, I would put them in three categories. And, and on your notes, you'll just see two, but in study after I turned my notes in, I found a third. So we're going to go with three, okay? But the first is this, they are worshipers. Ultimately, all things created by God are designed to bring glory to God. That's the intent of creation. And so the angels are no different. Ernest just shared with us, reminded us of, of that when we are singing praises, we in the spirit are joining with the echoes of all eternity of the angelic guard who is singing praise to the king. Like it's their job. Isaiah chapter six, uh, you, you see this beautiful picture, right? Isaiah comes into the temple and it's as though like the, the clouds pull back and it's as though he gets a, to peek into the very throne room. It says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And then in, in verse two, above him stood seraphim. That's, that's an angel. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I know that around Christmas time, we talk about angels. And I, if you have been with us here for very long, you know about uh, how I feel about how people describe angels so wrongfully, right? It's one of those things that just like grates on me, right? This, this description here in Isaiah 6 of these clearly like majestic beings with six wings and, and every time angels show up, they say things like, fear not, over and over. Why? Not because they're a little baby like thing with wings sitting on your mantle. Right? It's not a cherub. It doesn't have a, like a bow and arrow to make people fall in love. This is not what an angel is. An angel is a created being by God in order for him to be receive greater glory. And nothing receives greater glory from those tiny little baby things. Right? Like that's just weird. And so it's helpful for us to see that the work of angels, they their job is to bring glory to God, to, to worship him. And some of them, at least, is simply to say and sing on repeat of God's worthiness, his holiness, his perfection, his almighty, over and over and over and over again. And lest you think that that would get old for either the recipient or the giver, it does not. 
right? When the one who deserves everlasting praise receives it, it is honoring to him. And when the one who gets to give everlasting praise is giving it to the one being in all of the universe that deserves it, it is not tiring. Instead, it's like it's fulfilling. So angels are worshipers. Angels also, even by definition, right? Like the word, it means messengers. They are the messengers of the Lord. So let's even, let's think about those Christmas time ones, right? Matthew chapter one. This is uh, when uh, Joseph sees an angel, right? So, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, huh? do not fear, right? Take Mary as your wife. Right, this, is, this is a big step. So he sees an angel. There's a messenger. Then in Luke chapter 2, I think most of us know this one, right? And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. We'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly host or a multitude of heavenly angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So in one like one little story, we have both the messenger angel and the worshiper angels gathered together saying, glory to God in the highest. He has come. This is what they're there for. They're there to give this declaration, to give this proclamation to people. This, isn't this doesn't just happen at his birth or just in the Old Testament. We get to Acts chapter 8, and now it, the, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. Right, so over and over, there are these messenger angels. This is a task, and again, it's, it's like that's their name. Of course, this is what they do. They're messengers. The one descriptor that I would like to add that I, I didn't is, before uh, is that they are also guardians. I want to be careful with that as to not raise like certain flags for you. So, so listen carefully. In Genesis 3, there's a very specific task given. Genesis 3, 24, after the fall happens, right? So Adam and Eve, there's punishment given to both of them. There's punishment given to the serpent. There's punishment given to the earth. And this happens. God, he drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, an angel, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So there is one type of guardian angel, that at least one, that has been given this task of guarding the Garden of Eden. That we still don't know about where this tree of life is. We ever, there's all kinds of wondering about all that, and that's fine. But the, the reality is, Somewhere, there's a guard, an angel, an angelic guard. And, so that's one type of guard. And Psalm 91, 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you 
to guard you in all your ways. So here's what I don't know. I don't know if you or I have like our individual guardian angel that hangs out with us and does things to protect us and we just don't see them or know them. I, I don't know if that's the case. If I've got one, I've probably got 12, right? Uh, like I, I need extra. I'm extra. And so that's the problem. So uh, I'm not saying that we each get our own guardian angel. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we don't either, because I don't think scripture gives a very clear indication of that. What we do see is that there are things in this world that we cannot see, right? This is what Paul tells us in Ephesians, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, things that we can see and touch and feel. No, we wrestle against the rulers and principalities of this dark world. There's, there's something else there. So evidently, some angels are, ma are made to guard places and some are made to guard people. Ultimately, what we find is that angels are helpers, right? They're, they're designed to assist. Angels help inform people, guard people, and worship God through obedient praise. What angels are not is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise. They are none of those things. And they are all created beings. So that leads us right naturally out of the work of angels and into then the glory of Christ. Right? It's, it's more fun to talk about him anyway. So I want to spend the bulk of our time today considering who Jesus the Christ is. What makes him better than these angels, these worshipers, these messengers, these guardians? If they have the ability to guard and protect, what makes him better? First, he is God. In fact, first and foremost, Jesus is God. You should write that down in your notes. Jesus is God. If you're not taking notes, you should get a pen out and write that down somewhere. Jesus is God. And the reason that we have to hone in on that is because the world says that he's not. I don't know if, if you know that, if you realize that, but the, the people that are, are not in, not, not believing in Christianity, it's because they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. When, when you talk and discuss or debate or uh, have healthy, good conversation with those that are of different religions, the, the debate is always about Jesus. The, the, that's what's confronting them. And that he is the only God. Right? This, is, this is like completely baffling to the world around us. And uh, we who... Many of us, if not most of us, grew up in this neck of the woods, right? Where everybody has a VBS. And if you didn't have VBS, you had a backyard Bible club. And like, we have a thing that's called vacation Bible school and kids still wanna come to it, okay? Like there's, there's something about that, that like in, in this part of the world, this is just what's expected. Like people talk about, oh, Jesus is good. And oh, that sounds right. And, and maybe he's God, maybe it's whatever. But like 
all around, th this is a major point of contention. And again, if you were wondering if that's around us or just in those other far-reaching parts of the world, understand that when people are denying, uh, when they're rejecting the church, they're rejecting the things of Scripture, it's ultimately because they are rejecting Christ. So he is God. Now, how do we, where do we see that in this text? Now look at verse 3. Right, so this is speaking of Jesus, and it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. We'll just, we'll just look at that one part. Think about this. He is the, um, he is the light that shines so much that it permeates even into you. Revelation 21 tells us that in the new city, there is no need for sun or moon to shine because the glory of God will give it light. It's a lamp. Like it says that the lamb is the lamp. We don't need other light. We won't have to have sun or moon or stars. We won't have to have light bulbs. We won't have to have, like it doesn't matter which type, right? It, it doesn't matter at all. If it's the LED or if it's like the, uh, like saves the environment, it doesn't matter because Jesus will be the light. It, the glory of God, the radiance of the glory of God. Imagine a beauty so incredible, so delightful, so per, it permeates even into your very being. You see, the glory of God is that it's like elusive. It's untouchable. It's the majesty found only in the presence of God. Only God himself can radiate or can light up the heavens with himself. Other words, I was looking up, uh, trying to understand more about radiance and uh, what, in like the original, and uh, then it gave me other words that I didn't understand. So I really had to like look. Other words are like effulgence, and found ones that I liked a little bit more, like shining brightly, like splendid or splendor in such a way that it's stunning all inspiring radiance. And this is describing Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, right? He's the radiance of the glory of God. Text goes on. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. Like not a, not a mere twin or kind of a general lookalike. I was thinking about this specifically considering Mother's Day, uh, how thankful we are for moms in our lives. Uh, we're thankful that mo for moms that look like us, and we're thankful for moms that don't look like us. Uh, I've got a mom that we, we look similar, but the, the truth is uh, we are very much alike personality-wise. My mom and I, she'll be here even in the next service, but uh, we're the like, never met a stranger, talk too much, laugh too loud, life is always a party type. Like that's me and mom. And, uh, but, but I am not the exact imprint of my mom. Right? For one, she is a woman, I am a man. Okay, that's a pretty stark difference. And then I started thinking, well, 
what about, what about me and Luke? The way I just described me and mom, it's also Luke and I, right? So we are like very much the same in many ways. And Luke, Luke resembles me. Sorry, buddy. Um, he looks like me. He acts like me. He's loud like me. He's full speed like me. Uh, in fact, it wasn't very long ago, uh, my, uh, my sister's phone was sitting around. And uh, I, I did that thing where like, I took a picture of myself making a goofy face. And like two days later, my sister still hadn't seen it, whatever. And a couple days later, we were with them. And, and my, my son, Luke, he took her phone, did the same thing, and took a picture. And I think we have that picture. So, like, neither of us knew that we did that to my sister's phone, and we did the very same thing. <laughs> I thought that would bring at least a little smile to y'all. Um, but at the end of the day, when Luke looks in the mirror, he sees Luke. He doesn't see me, right? I mean, we, he sees a lot of something, but he, he sees himself when he looks in the mirror. But when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees the Father. Because he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is God. This is why John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus said to them, we, many of you will know this part, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But catch verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you know Jesus, you know God. This is what he's saying. Like We are together. We are one. This is it. And as such, Jesus is eternal. Look at verse 8, uh, Hebrews 1, verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He's eternal. Verse 10, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. So Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus was a part of it. It's not like he, uh, he steps in for the first time in the New Testament. Jesus has always been. Heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. We will find this again in the book of Hebrews, but I want you to catch this. Jesus does not change. He is the same. We'll see again. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But right here, you are the same and your years will have no end. This is Jesus we speak of. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the only begotten. Verse 5. He's asking these questions about, of course, angels aren't better. And he says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. He's saying, like, I didn't say that to any of the angels. I only said that of Jesus. And it makes me think of John 3. 16. 
every time I hear begotten. Now, and depending on the translation, it might not be there. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is God. We, we cannot like just blaze past that. So I hope we pause long enough to hear that, that when we think about who Jesus is, your first thought ought to be that he is God. Secondly, thinking of John 3.16 certainly makes me, remind me that Jesus is Savior, right? As you continue in Hebrews 1, right? So we, we continue on in verse 3, the latter part of verse 3 says, after making purification for sins, right? So, so let's back up, right? So we're, we're thinking about who Jesus is. He is, the, he is God. So he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, and we'll get to the next part in just a minute, but he made purification for sins? This is what he did. And you might be wondering, why does he even have to make purification for sins? Or maybe you're wondering, whose sins is he making purification for? How did he make purification for sins? Well, then you have come to the right place if those are your questions. God, this glorious, majestic, beautiful creator God, designer, creator, builder, sustainer, maker of all things, the one and only holy, perfectly right in all of his ways. No one even comes close. This God, He's completely deserving of all beings, of all things, in fact, entirely and fully worshiping him through both words and their obedience. That's who God is. But we, as people, both by our nature and by our choices, dishonor God. We choose to go our own way. This is like the, the thing that we do. And this is called sin. Anything that we think or say or do or believe or feel or consider that is offense to God. Scripture makes it clear that all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23, that's not like none of us make the cut. We've all sinned. And that scripture makes it clear in Romans 6, 23, that, that the wages or the punishment for sin is death. You might think, well, that seems really extreme. What if all I did was just think a bad thought? What if I just said a bad word? What if I just, I mean, it just stole a piece of gum? It's not like it was grand theft auto here. It's not like a, it was like you list the sins on a range. Like it's, it's not like it was that bad. But you, you got to remember that it's not the uh, degree of your sin, but the degree of who you sin against. 
And we've just established that Jesus is God and that he's holy and perfect and creator and that he deserves all of our worship and all of our obedience. So if he is that deserving, then any offense to him, whether, whether it seems great or small to us, is significant enough to deserve death. So this glorious Jesus, who is the exact imprint of God himself, the radiance of the glory of God, came to earth. He came to earth to make purification for sins by dying the death that we deserved to die. And that so that we could live forever with him. And see, his death could only take our place because he never sinned. He never thought that one wrong thought. He never said that one wrong word. He never stole that one piece of gum. He never did the lower sins. He never did the higher sins. It mattered not the degree of sin because he committed none of them. And the way we know that his plan worked, like his death worked, his death paid the price, actually counted, is because three days later he rose from the grave conquering death and hell and sin. Like if, if he hadn't come back to life, he would have just been a guy that died on a cross. There were two other guys that day that did the same thing. It wouldn't, wouldn't have been that special. <clears throat> the special about it is that he came back to life. This is the essence of Christianity. Scripture goes on to tell us that if we believe if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, he, that he did actually conquer sin and death and hell. If we believe that, if we confess that, if we trust in him, we will be saved. We will be saved from that hell. We will be saved from death. We will be saved from sin, set free to be able to claim victory over the grave. This is what is offered to us because Jesus is God. And because Jesus is Savior, he offers this to us. And so even you today, maybe you're a guest with us today. Maybe you came as a family member of one of those that was up here and you really are just here because they said you kind of had to be. And so you, you walked in. Well, welcome. We're glad you are here. Maybe you're here today because your mom just said, would you please sit next to me on Mother's Day? That is also a good reason to be here. But I want you to hear this today, that today, no matter why you are here, you can turn away from your sin and yourself and your stuff and you can trust in Jesus. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And he has made a way for you by dying on the cross and defeating death three days later. And he is offering to you the gift of salvation. Turn today, today. And these people that are saying amen are pleading with you, with me. To say today, may today be that day. In fact, in just a few minutes, we're not even there yet, but I'll just go ahead and tell you in just a few minutes, we're gonna stand and sing. And when we do that, 
If you have questions about that or or if that's something you're doing even right now and you want to tell somebody, we want to know about it. And so there will be some over here to my left that would love to just talk with you, pray with you, answer questions. And, And today can be that day. Again, Jesus is God, Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is King, right? Still in verse three, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse eight, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Sitting down on the throne is an example of such authority that you do not have to stand, right? Think about this. Like when the president of the United States walks in a room, everyone stands. When the queen of England walks in, everyone stands. When a judge in a courtroom comes in, they say, all rise. Everybody else stands up. And Jesus, he sits down. He's claiming authority in sitting you stand for him, right? This is how this works. He sits down because he is king. And in his kingship, I'll conclude with this reminder that he is Lord. You see, we, we oftentimes misunderstand this word, Lord, We see that word and we correlate it with kingship. We correlate it with maybe an authority figure whom we can choose to disobey. And certainly we can choose to disobey the Lord, but we're the only things in all creation that choose to disobey him. As Lord, like leader, boss, King, ruler, sovereign Lord. He is it. Why is he it? Well, because he's the creator. He's the builder, the maker. Verse 10, you Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning in the heavens are the work of your hands. You built it all. Why wouldn't we want to obey the one who certainly knew what he made us for, designed us for a very reason, with a very specific purpose in mind. And then we have the audacity to say, nah, No, they're not into that. He is Lord. And think about this, as Lord, as sovereign ruler, he upholds the universe with the power, the word of his power. Like literally he speaks it and the universe does it. Stars land in place. Oceans, nowhere to stop. Rivers make a turn. Animals get on the ark. A big fish swallows Jonah. Right? All of these things happen at the word of his power. And it's not just those created beings. He he upholds you by the word of his power. He keeps your heart beating. He keeps you breathing. He keeps your brain functioning. He allows you to live even right now. And he upholds the 7.8 billion people in the world while 
upholding you. He upholds the 6.3 million Berber who are in Algeria that have no access to this glorious gospel. He upholds the 29.3 million Baniya in India who may never hear of this radiant king. He upholds the 768,000 Hani in China who may never know that they even know that there's such a thing as sin. He upholds the 11.3 million in Haiti that have such physical needs that it's hard for them to even hear of the truth of the gospel resonating in their hearts. And he upholds the 328 million Americans that have abundant resources and abundant gospel opportunities. He upholds us. He upholds the 2.9 million people in Mississippi. And hear this. He upholds you. Not, not, just, not just the big number of billions and millions or even hundreds of thousands. He upholds you. Why wouldn't you trust him? Wouldn't you confess your sin before him? Because he upholds the universe, because he is creator, he is deserving of worship. Let let all God's angels worship him. It says in verse six, and I would say, let all people worship him. He is deserving. So as you think about your response today, what am I supposed to do with this reality of who Jesus is? That Yeah, it sounds great that he's better than angels. Then hear this. I hope that you today would see the beauty of Christ, his death and resurrection, and respond by repenting of your sin. And for those of you who are already followers of Christ, I pray that you would see the perfections of Christ and respond by realizing your need for his sanctifying work in your life. I think about last week, many of you came to this altar and altar and released fears to the Lord. It's been like seven days. How's that going? Did you pick it right back up on Monday morning? It's easy to do that, isn't it? I think I'm going to go back and take that one. Try to take it back. Take a deep breath and trust the Lord again today. Trust the Lord to reign and rule in your life in such a way that he will do what is best and that you really can leave it, not just at this altar, but in his hands. Cast your cares, your worries, your fears, your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And finally, I would say, a response today would be to see the glory of Christ and respond to him by singing his praise. Church, he's worthy. We've been singing that and saying, oh, you are worthier. He is holy. He's worthy of our worship. So as we respond this morning, whatever that needs to look like, that means you need to come forward and make a commitment or ask questions or pray. That means you need to again release another fear or another doubt or another worry. 
trust in him. He is worthy. Would you stand with me as we sing that Jesus is exalted over all?